Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 5 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You ready to get into this semi-ugly card? We have a script in front of us. It has no Akron and no UMass anywhere in the discussion, so I can assume this will be a pretty good podcast. Uh, yeah, but you, the little do you know I'm going to make you talk about that game. Books are dangling that 7.5 out in front of you we'll get to saturday's card you know they're from a enjoyment or just marquee game perspective there's not a lot if you go to the action app and just filter on top 25 it's like every top 25 team is the 30 point favorite there are some good games we'll get to friday night as well which i think is a really intriguing slate but first we will start with where we always start and that's look ahead or look away hangovers sleepers and the dreaded sandwich spot is it time to look ahead or look away that's where we look at next week and determine if there's any good situational spots this week if a team could get caught flat looking ahead um you know if they might pull their starters a little sooner rest people who are on the fringe of being healthy and there's not that many this week you know there's a couple we'll start with iowa and a few people on Twitter actually asked me about this game. Iowa 23-point favorite against Middle Tennessee State. I get that the spot for Iowa isn't great. I think it's a noon kick. You know, next week they're at Michigan. You know, they face a bad Middle Tennessee State team. The problem is I can't find enough reasons to back the Blue Raiders here. I'd be Mm -hmm. guessing, look, if they just want to hand it off, they should manhandle, manhandle Middle Tennessee State in the trenches, they could just run it right at the really bad, really poor Middle Tennessee State run defense. I can't get behind this one. I'm not going to be on Iowa, but I can't get behind the Blue Raiders. Uh, do you agree here? Uh, no, actually, I don't. I am actually on Middle Tennessee State, but it has nothing to do with the Ra- the Blue Raiders whatsoever. It actually has everything to do with Iowa. Now, you have to remember, Middle Tennessee State has already played Michigan, so there's a lot of film that Iowa's already looked at. That includes uh, Middle Tennessee State going up against their opponent next week uh, in Michigan. And then conversely, like after this game, Iowa is going to be exposed on a whole 60 minutes of play uh, on film for Michigan to look at after they played Middle Tennessee. So these two teams, Iowa and Michigan, should be very familiar with each other with a common opponent at just the beginning of October next week. The reason why I'm playing Middle Tennessee has nothing to do with how great I think Asher O'Hara is, their, their quarterback, the fact that he's 
you know, responsible for 80% of the Blue Raiders offense and he's accounted for over half of their rushing yards. The reason why I'm doing this is because the total is low enough to where the, the side is just way too high. Iowa, if you look at them, they're fourth in the nation in time of possession. When they have drives, they go for a long time. You can make a sandwich, you can wash your dishes, you can do all kinds of shit because Iowa's drives take forever. They're fourth in the nation in time of possession. They are worst, one of the worst teams in the nation in gains of 20 plus yards from scrimmage. They're not able to have any explosive plays on the ground or through the air. At least they haven't proved it yet. And if they have it in their back pocket, I doubt they're going to show it before they play Michigan. So I think there's going to be a lot of long drives in this game. I think Iowa is going to win. Uh, I think the 24 is important. So if you have to, you know, pay a little bit of juice, if you want to play this at minus 120 or maybe wait for some game day steam to get this to 24, I just think it's way too many points. Look ahead spot. And this Iowa team's offense is not explosive. It's going to be long and drawn out and a grind. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you there. And Ohio, Ohio, he's impressed me a little bit. And he's a dual threat quarterback and do some stuff with his legs. That's given Iowa some problems in the past. But mm-hmm. I just think the advantage in the trenches here is so enormous for Iowa. I want no part despite the spot. The other one was Utah State. Utah State has LSU on deck after that big conference win last week. They're laying 24. There's that number again to Colorado State. Can you make right. a case for the Rams? Marvin Kinsey, star running back. And their wide receiver, who I love, Warren Jackson, both look like they're going to be out. That's enormous against this Utah State offense that wants to go, 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 go. One of the fastest teams in the country. What do you see here? Uh, you're going to make me play Colorado State. This number is way too high. It should be 17. Uh, you know, Colorado State right now is eighth in total offense in the nation. They're averaging 552 yards per game. They can sling it. They can get it down the field. They could, I mean, they had an abundance of yards last week against one of the opponents we're going to talk about here coming up in another game preview. Uh, but Utah State shouldn't care about this. I haven't been impressed with their defense so far. But one of the worst defenses in the nation is Colorado State. I think either the play in this game is either Colorado State with the 24 or you take an over here because I just don't see anybody stopping to score while Utah State's got overlooked. And Utah State only has one gear. I think we've already tried to fade them once this year, and uh, Jordan Love kind of did us in. Yeah. All right. And the last spot I have circled here is Michigan State, 14-point favorites. Uh, you know, They can come out a little sleepy on offense, but they're 14-point favorites this week against Indiana. Um, next week, Michigan State will take on Ohio State. They're at Ohio State in one of the best games of the weekend next weekend. Does Michigan State get caught looking ahead here? Are they a little flat? Can you make a case for the Hoosiers? Yeah, I can't I can't see myself playing Indiana here. The number is too high. Uh, I think it should be nine and a half with Michigan State. Uh, project a total of 53. Uh, Indiana just doesn't inspire any confidence in being able to hold on to anything after they played Ohio State when, you know, games can get away from them. I just, they don't have the defense to to keep this within the number. At the same time, I don't want to play Michigan State if they have any kind of overlook. And with so many injuries on the offensive line, it's just, you know, players getting moved to different positions. Uh, it's just not a strong bet on, uh, you know, it, the number's too high for Michigan State, and I don't trust the Indiana defense to keep this within range. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Uh, so let's move on to the slate. And look, let's take a unique path down Saturday's card. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. 
Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week five. Let's go conference by conference, just touching on a game or two in each one. We'll go alphabetically. We'll start with the AAC. Georgia Tech Temple. You know, Collins returns to Temple. Temple's a seven and a half point favorite. Temple coming off that bad loss, turnover filled loss against Buffalo. Another game a lot of people are asking about SMU USF. SMU 4 0 after that big win against TCU. They're now seven and a half point favorites at USF. That SMU offense is real. They're real oh. and they're spectacular. Their receivers, you know, Jones in the backfield, Buchel, the Texas transfer. One thing to note here is Charlie Strong. He does know Buchel. He was at Texas when Buchel was there in 2016. I don't know if I can get behind this USF team, but it's a great buy low, sell high spot uh, for SMU and USF, who's just been dreadful. Yes. Yeah, so let me go ahead and comment on Georgia Tech Temple because I did take Temple minus nine out of the gate. The, you know, this is a highly emotional spot for the Temple players as they get to take on Jeff Collins as he returns up to Philadelphia. Sort of a, a, a flat spot for Temple. And plus, there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, Temple's going to go ground, Temple's going to go rush in this game. They have been able to get the ball down deep, but it's been in long passing situations and passing downs. Uh, Georgia Tech is horrible. Neither of these teams are having success moving the ball on offense. The Temple defensive line is still tops in stuff rate and power success rate, which is why we took them against Maryland straight up. Uh, but against Georgia Tech, they're going to be able to shut down Georgia Tech in their running game which is all they have because they don't want to pass whatsoever. So I like this number completely you know, under the total. And because I like it under the total more and more, and, and I read into the Monday pressers and I see that this is going to be a ground game, I wanted to get off the side because nine is a lot of points to try to cover when you have two teams that are just going to try to run it down each other's throat. I'm more favored the under in that game. As far as uh, SMU and South Florida, Stuck, I know you and I did some research a couple of years ago about how we talked about what is the effect of a team on back-to-back -back road travel going in to face a team off of a bye. When you look at some of these offensive systems that are out there in college football today, they need to stay in sync. They need to stay in rhythm. And when you take more than 10 days off, that can get you out of rhythm. And that's why I did a little Bet Labs research. to, And we've got three of these spots this week. We've got SMU going against South Florida, ULL going against Georgia Southern, UCLA going against Arizona. All three of these back-to-back -back road teams had straight-up wins last week. All of them were going up to face conference opponents that are off of a bye. In this scenario, if you looked at Bet Labs, they were 20-34 and 34 against the spread for the home team, which means these teams that are coming in on back-to-back -back road travel have the advantage, probably because they're being in sync. So South Florida had some success, but, I mean, it's against a, a, a bad uh, FCS team. Uh, so we'll see how it goes here against SMU, who is just on fire. I mean, Sonny Dykes is just on fire here with this team. And, and it's because of what we mentioned on the podcast the other day, which is the Seeker. So the Seeker is this robot that SMU has where it can accurately throw, like, to the millimeter a pass. So if you, like, type in go route or post route or anything, it'll throw a pass. This machine will throw a pass exactly to where you program it. So if you want a 70-yard uh, curl, if you want a stop route, anything that you want, a fly pattern, this thing can throw it. So what they've done is, is it's, really, it's not taxing the arms, but it's getting tons of reps for the wide receivers. At any distance, at any range, they bought this multi-million dollar machine that I think only three colleges in college football have, and it's shown in SMU's, uh, uh, per, you know, what they've done so far this year. But what they've done as far as, like, completion percentage – uh, yards after catch. Uh, SMU has been amazing, and I think it's because of this robot. So uh, the seeker has been a big deal. I'm not. There's no way I, I can take South Florida here. I don't trust Charlie Strong. Kerwin Bell hasn't got it figured out. Uh, it is a sweet spot, though. So I'm not looking to ride SMU and take the points here. 
because uh, it is a really bad spot for SMU, uh, especially after wearing those beautiful uniforms with Dallas and Cursive on it uh, and beating TCU. It is definitely a flat spot for SMU, but, I mean, uh, we love the Mustangs to play for the rest of the year. You could credit the machine, but let's give credit to Prochet and Roberson and Jones and Buchel. I mean, their offense is electric. The defense coming into the year, we said it, is underrated. Uh, this team is legit. The spot says South Florida, but I just don't know if I see enough out of the Bulls. Now, to skip ahead to the Sun Belt, you mentioned another one of these games that fits the spot. Louisiana Lafayette, Georgia Southern. Louisiana Lafayette's a covering machine. One of my favorite teams finally got me off uh, – this died last week with our Moneyline Parlay. But this is an interesting matchup in that if you look at Georgia Southern, who, by the way, keep your eye on the injury report, Shea Wirtz, their quarterback and their triple option offense uh, is questionable. Whenever you're running triple option, offensive line is going to be important. They lost two all-conference offensive linemen last year, and then this year they've had two injuries to starters. So their offensive line has been a disaster, a disaster. Same with Florida Atlantic. I'm sure I'll ask you about that game. Their offensive line has been a disaster. But Georgia Southern's offensive line, Two, they have two starters I think were questionable this week, has been so bad. And Louisiana, their defensive line has been so bad. I think they're 130th in stuff rate. And UMass, by the way, is 129th. Someone is worse than UMass in something. So you would think on the surface, you know, this option going against Louisiana. But if I think it depends on words. And this, this offensive line has just been a mess. I don't know if I want to get in front of this electric Louisiana rush offense, which is, I think, second in the nation in the yards per carry behind only Oklahoma. As I'm talking, I just got an alert on the action app that the line came down from three to from three and a half to three. Do you see anything uh, in that Louisiana game that you're going to be involved in? Yeah, I'm staring at the screen. It could mean Wurtz is playing, but I mean, still, the, uh, Georgia Southern has looked really bad this year. They're, you know, they're 129th in total offense, uh, 251 yards per game, and they are predominantly triple, you know, triple option rush offense, but still rushing yards per attempt, uh, 53rd in the nation. Uh, they're just not, they're not getting it done. Their defense has been even worse. They're 130th in total first downs. That's not good for a triple option team, especially one that's trying to just, you know, their whole entire mission objective is to get first downs. They're, they're worst in the nation. Uh, their third down conversion percentage has been 128th so far. Uh, there's just nothing about this Georgia Southern team that inspires me to, to, to get behind them and, and, uh, and put a bet here in the spot, even though it is the spot. The one thing, this whole double road travel going into a team off of a bye, specifically in terms of the MAC and the Sun Belt, it was 31-73 and 73 against the spread for home teams. For some reason, in the MAC and in the Sun Belt, these teams that are on double road travel against bye teams have been highly profitable. Uh, so there's no way I'm, I'm back in Georgia Southern in the spot. I actually think ULL uh, should be – I have it, I have them marked as favored by three, so that's where the line is. Uh, I, I think they're the play. Uh, I'm not looking to run out and, and, and be with the public and, and, and where all the action is. But uh, in the Sun Belt, I think it's it's justified. Fair enough. All right. Then tell everyone what they should do with Houston, with King now out and they're, you know, they're playing right. receiver now out. What, what should we do with Houston, North Texas? North Texas now seven-and-a-half point favorite over under – 59. Is De'Aaron King going to play? Is he staying? Oh, he's staying, but is he playing? No, he's not playing, but he's not going to the transfer portal. And when the uh, totals came out, I immediately had this one marked. It came out, I think, at 62. I had this at 56 and a half. We know Houston's offense is a lot slower than last year. Houston overall in the season has been an under team. I saw the news come in about De'Aaron King, and then I just hit it as many times as I could at 62, 60 and a half. Finally, it stopped at 58 and a half, and now it's settled at 59. Clayton Toon, 50% completion rate last year, 12% sack rate. 
That is absolutely terrible. And he's not a mobile quarterback. As far as the total goes, last year, North Texas was 82nd in adjusted pace. North Texas is a highly successful offense, but they're not an explosive offense. They'll throw for 11 yards, and then they'll run out the clock. Uh, they, they're not the kind of team that does no huddle. They will run the timeout on the uh, on the clock before they take a snap. So North Texas is not the fastest team in the nation. Uh, contrary yeah, this to isn't Pablo North Texas Pablo. of last year, and they lost their right. you know one of the best receivers in the conference. There's probably going to be a comeback. Is this gets down to 56? It's only me trying to hedge a little bit off of the three-unit window that I have on the numbers over 60. Houston played. They were playing really slow under Dana, but they, their first four they had four games in 19 days. And he said it in an interview. He said, "Look, right. my defense is getting tired. I have to worry about my defense. I can't go too fast." And he even said in one game, I think it was against Tulane. Yeah, we started to go fast, but my defense was gassed. Well, now you know they played last Thursday. They've had 10 days, and now I think they'll have a bye after this. So maybe Dana then comes out and it's old Dana and he's trying to push, push, push. But without King, you know, without their, you know, their senior wideout who also is sitting like it, it makes it tough to cap. But this North Texas and Houston team, from what we've seen, you know, and they have key players out on the outside. This isn't, you know, last year's North Texas and Houston teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think. It's going to be a much slower pace. It's going to be a different, a different looking game. I just wonder what the thinking is behind Dana. Like now with Deer King, like that conversation, like everybody just assumes that Deer King is going to go play for Oklahoma and they can just start giving the Heisman trophies to to Lincoln Riley every year. But you know, it's like Dana said the other day uh, in a press conference. He said, "Listen, he's he's a Houston Cougar until I see his name in the in the transfer portal." So you have to wonder: Is Dana Holgerson is he chalking this year up, and is he going to create an offense that's conducive to what Deer King wants for the rest of the season? The dynamic there is just fascinating. Yep. All right. Before we move on from the AAC, really quick question because we got asked on Twitter. Uh, ECU, your boys against ODU yeah. coming off that deflating, you know, attempted upset against Virginia. Of note here, ECU starting running back Darius Penix is out and then his backup Hussein Howe decided to transfer. So that's notable. Um, anything in ECU, ODU, which is not the toilet bowl because we have Akron, UMass. So Old Dominion last year beat Virginia Tech as a 28 and a half point dog. And then that following week, they played East Carolina. East Carolina beat them by two. So East Carolina was able to capitalize on a down spot on Old Dominion. I think they kind of do the same thing here. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. But I definitely like uh, East Carolina to finally get something going here. I mean, they've only covered one of their last six games. It's time for the, the East Carolina that I was predicting back in July to finally show up in a game. But this is a good spot to get Old Dominion. I believe they were a three-point favorite, and I lost. I, fa I faded ODU there. I'm getting flashbacks here. All right, so let's move on from AAC and move on to the ACC. First question I have to ask you with the ACC is about Clemson, North Carolina. North mm. Carolina has become so predictable in the fact that they get down in the first half, and all of a sudden they're world beaters in the fourth quarter. What we've also learned about Clemson and your now maybe trash Heisman ticket on Trevor Lawrence, is they're just oh. taking him out as soon as they get a big lead. It could be in the second quarter. So does this not set up for a perfect storm of a North Carolina second half bet again, just like App State last week? Clemson builds a big lead. They pull all their starters. And then here comes, you know, your fourth quarter heels. Are we going back to the well? Listen, for somebody that's been gambling for a really long time, a really long time, and you have too. Let's just put a little word of advice out to people like Jesse Palmer and Joey Galloway. Don't ever say easy money. Don't ever say easy money, and don't have graphics of dollar bills floating over your face because things are not easy money. Now, that said, how is there any other way to play this game besides Clemson first half and North Carolina's second half? I mean, I project this game at 26 with a total of 62. So the numbers are spot on as far as a full game goes, but Clemson is not allowed a touchdown in the first half of play so far. 
They've they've only allowed one rush to go over 20 yards. Uh, they haven't allowed a TD in the first half yet. UNC is beating opponents 90 to 12 in the fourth quarter. Sam Howell does not play until the fourth quarter. He's covered all the second halves. Clemson has covered all the first halves. It seems I don't want to say easy money. It seems like that's the path that the betting should go. First half is uh, 14 and a half. I did lay some money on Clemson minus 14 and a half. I hope to see the Sweeney kid, the Herb Street kids, uh, the Venables kid. I hope to see all their jerseys on the field uh, by the time the end of the second quarter comes and Trevor Lawrence and T. Higgins and Justin Ross and everybody's taking a seat. But that seems like the path to go here is Clemson in the first half. You would see in the second half. So set your timers for about five o'clock Eastern time. Uh, that should be about halftime of the Clemson North Carolina game. It'll be time to back up on Sam Howell again and get us a second half cover. Yep, yeah, never say locks either. There's no locks. Um, lock. you know, besides fading UMass, that's a lock. Um, but oh, maybe boy. not this week. All right, so before we get out of the ACC of note, Wake Forest, Boston College, this is not your older brother's Wake Forest, Boston College game. You remember the game that ended 0-0? Vatek, Wake? No, there's not going to be any 0-0. Uh-huh. These are two of the fastest teams in the country. Oh, over under 69 I think it's over or nothing there. And then, obviously, before we get out of the ACC, let's talk about one of the marquee games of the weekend, Virginia-Notre Dame. 12.5-point favorite. Yeah, I'll just say I agree with you on the Wake Forest-BC over. I know that the Action Network projection makes it 63, but that doesn't take into account that neither of these teams, I think, can have an answer at the cornerback position to stop the other from going. And everybody knows Adazio wants to go as fast as possible. As far as Virginia and Notre Dame goes, both of these teams are top 25 in Havoc. Uh, I project this game at eight and a half and 51. So you would think that there'd be a play on Virginia. But I went back into Notre Dame's history to see how do they respond in games after their previous national showcase game was a loss. They got beat in a, in a big primetime game or something that had implications to the college football playoff. Like in 2017, they lost to Georgia. The next week, they beat Boston College by 29. In 2016, they, Notre Dame lost to Texas. They beat Nevada by 29 the next week. Wasn't it Q's last year, too? Yeah, Q's last year. In 2015, Clemson, they beat Navy the next week by 17. Notre Dame has always bounced back. They've not had an emotional letdown or a hangover. That speaks to coaching, how well Brian Kelly, how great of a coach Brian Kelly is. I think they're going to show up here. I don't think this is any kind of hangover spot whatsoever. You know, Virginia had no cares for Old Dominion. When they down 17, they had to score 28 straight. Notre Dame's already seen a dual-threat quarterback in Jawan Pass. He was limited to just three runs. It got over 10 yards. I don't know if it's... Kirby's play calling, or if it's Notre Dame's defense, but Georgia's explosiveness and success rate was down in the box score. I think their success rate was about even, and their expo- they didn't have any explosiveness whatsoever uh, through the air or uh, on the ground. Um, I think that the best way that Ian Book, you know, Notre Dame is 11th in the country right now with passes over 20-plus yards. Maybe a little bit surprising to people, but Ian Book is hitting receivers down the field. Virginia defense has been giving up the big play this season. They have allowed... Uh, uh, plenty of plays to go over 20-plus yards from scrimmage. They're a very boomer bust defense. Either they're in your backfield creating havoc all day, or you can get them down the field. So I think Notre Dame's going to—I think the game plan is going to be up-tempo. I think they're going to go deep. Uh, and I think once they get a lead, this could turn into a shootout. I think I think it's going to fast make everything go a little bit faster. The weather has tailed off. I was a little worried about the weather. That's why the, the, the number came down, I think— uh, to 48 is because of the the weather. But now the forecast is it's only about 20% in the second half of this game of precipitation. So, I mean, if there was going to be weather in this game, then I would think there would be, you know, field conditions that would not help Ian Book get the ball down the field. But if this forecast completely clears up, I think over 48 is the play. Yeah, but I think it's worth noting that Bryce Perkins isn't fully healthy. He has that brace on his knee, and he's just not as explosive. And I think that's a huge part of this week. I think Notre Dame covers this number. I was really impressed with their defense. Virginia hasn't been running it well. 
this year. And a lot of that has to do with Perkins, I think. So I think Notre Dame covers this number. Um, all right, let's move on to the Big Ten. Uh, we talked about Iowa, Middle Tennessee State. By the way, Michigan, you know, you're going to have a lot of people betting them on a bounce back against Rutgers. Uh-huh. And I can't look at Rutgers because Sikowski just got the start. And Sitkowski was probably the worst quarterback in the country last year. Uh, he's going for Rutgers. You can't bet this game, right? Art, Art or Sitkowski? No. No, this is two of the worst teams in the nation in Havoc also. So it's not like Michigan can take the ball away from Rutgers. They may be able to stop them on a third down, but they haven't proven they can do that either. So it's really interesting to me to see if Michigan responds. If they don't respond and they don't cover this number, then they've given up. They've given up. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a, a measuring stick for the care level of the Michigan program <laughs> and whether or not Harbaugh has lost the locker room. The only other interesting game I wanted to cover in the Big Ten is Minnesota-Purdue. Minnesota opened mm-hmm. as a small dog, flipped to one-and-a-half-point favorite. The more I look at this Purdue team, the more it's a complete dumpster fire. What is there to like? You know, obviously, Sindelar may or may not go. He's questionable. But there is so, you know, you have an explosive passing attack with one of the best receivers in the country. That's about it. I mean, you know, it's not all of it's their fault. Marcus Bailey and Lorenzo Neal are out on their defense, which really just ruined their defense. Their offensive line is so bad, they have no rushing game to speak of. None. Zero. Uh-huh. Zip. So the more I look at this game, I think Minnesota, who I have Big Ten futures on and a win total over, and I've been extremely lucky because the other side of me says Minnesota could have lost every game they've played in. You know, they've just found a way. But I mean, this Purdue team is just it's there's nothing much to like about it. Now, hold on. Let me correct you. You said Purdue has no rushing game whatsoever. They're 129th in rushing yards per attempt at 2.08. Worse than them? Akron, 130th. This Akron UMass game is one for the ages. No, Minnesota's not much better, by the way. They haven't been running it well. <laughs> yeah, 2.61, 124th in the nation. So Minnesota and Purdue is down chumming with the UMasses and the Akrons of the world as far as the rushing game goes. Uh, Minnesota has been extremely lucky. Uh, they're they're 105th in yards per play on offense. There's nothing for me that, that I like this team whatsoever. They're 122nd in sacks given up. It's easy to get to their quarterback. It's hard to bet this game completely. I think Sindelar, the health, the concussion protocol i've been waiting on word for that to see how i'm gonna bet this game but even then i mean what what's that worth two points to the spread it should come back down so just, it's a tough one to play i'm really looking at minnesota here keep an eye out in the app um all right let's move out of the big 10 and touch on the conference usa uh the only game i really wanted to talk about here is fau charlotte I mentioned fau their offensive line has been a disaster as well you love charlotte one-point favorite here. They open as a a one-and-a-half-point dog. Are we going back to Charlotte here? I do love Charlotte. Uh, I have all year, uh, but the problem is is they're not playing any defense whatsoever. Their rush defense is atrocious. It's not something that you can count on. Uh, FAU, to this point, uh, you know, their total offense is something that's, you know, outstanding at all. They're averaging 386 yards per game. That's good for 85th in the nation. You know, Charlotte, their defense, you know, opponent rush yards per attempt, 5.4. That's 117th. You know, they're outside the top 100 and rushing TDs allowed per game. Uh, so if any team has a pulse on the ground, they're going to be able to keep up with Charlotte. Now, Charlotte, I think, score with anybody on the group of five level. The defense just scares me here. I mean, Charlotte should be a bigger favorite. I have this game projected at Charlotte minus one. Uh, so I, I don't think the point spread is off by any means. Uh, but this is a whole thing here where, you know, Florida Atlantic, I think, has scored on every single 
red zone attempt, I think, so far this year. So if there's any kind of trip up for Charlotte whatsoever, like on the offensive side of the ball or a, a turnover, which I, I think they've been negative in turnovers every single game this year for Charlotte. Uh, it's just a thing where I don't trust their defense. Uh, I just I don't trust them on, on third downs uh, out on the defensive side of the ball. They can't stop anybody that can run. Uh, so look for overs in this game. And then you have a lot of bad teams and conference play coming up. The UTEPs and the, and the UTSAs of the world coming up. That's going to be the play on spot. But FAU does have a little bit of a pulse as far as rushing the ball. So that's why I'm going to uh, probably pass on this game. I don't know. I'm looking, Charlotte. If you look at FAU, line is terrible. <laughs> I trust Benny LeMay much more. Um, I think this is a play on Charlotte and a fade on Lane. The, one of the reasons why I had hesitation on this game is because I've seen Charlotte at 30 to one to win the conference. If you take a look at Charlotte for like for the rest of the season and, and their and their schedule, Florida International off of a bye week, Western Kentucky on the road, not tough. They get North Texas at home. I think that's their toughest game. Middle Tennessee comes to town, then they go to UTEP and they finish with Marshall and Old Dominion. They they could make it to the conference championship game and they're 30 to one. So I think that's something that I would rather act on because if I think they're going to beat Florida Atlantic, that means that I think they can beat most of the teams in the conference. So I think that 30 to one on them to win that conference does have some value. I actually tried to send a runner to Circa to hit it last week. It was 40 to one. We didn't get there in time. So I think that's what I'm going to do. It'll be my to do in the next 24 hours to get some Charlotte money down on a future rather than play against Florida Atlantic. You're giving, you're giving Lane and FAU way too much credit here. Um, all right, let's move on to some <laughs> Maction. Uh, and I love the Mac card this week, which is probably a terrible sign. I'll start at noon with NIU and Vanderbilt. I think this is a, you know, a get-out-your-frustration game for Vandy. And look, if you look at who they played, they played Purdue at Purdue and lost by 18. And then they played Georgia and LSU, two top-five teams. So the schedule has done them no favors. I think you're buying low on them here. And against a Northern Illinois team who also can't run the ball, and they've lost now two of their starting linebackers, which is huge. That was supposed to be a strength of their team. Now it's a weakness. Showed up against Nebraska. I think it'll continue to show up, and I think Vaughn can have a big day. Um, I think Vandy gets right here. I'm thinking of laying the six and a half. Uh, other games I'm looking at, Buffalo, Miami, Ohio. This game should be ugly. Look at the under here, under 47 and a half. These teams, all they can do is run it. They can't, neither can throw it. They're two of the heaviest non-option rush offenses in the country. You know, you could say, hey, look, Buffalo just beat Temple 38-22. We'll take a look at the box score. Buffalo averaged 3.7 yards per carry. They had 260 yards and scored 38 points. Temple just turned it over all day. Buffalo only scored 17 against Liberty, you know, 13 against Penn State. And Miami, Ohio's offense is just a mess. Miami, Ohio's also really banged up um, from that Ohio State game. I think you just see two rush-heavy offenses, inefficient passing attacks. The totals come down from 53 to 47 and a half. I still like the under 47 and a half. So I'm looking at NIU and the under in Buffalo, Miami, Ohio. Do you see anything in either of those two games? Yeah, the point spread for the Vandy one I think is too high. I think I got that projected at Vanderbilt minus two and a half. So I and and I was actually impressed with their offensive or the ability at least to get up over thirty points against LSU. Uh, LSU has got to be kind of under the microscope now after Vanderbilt puts up uh, that many points. So, uh, but you know, I, I think that I think that spread is a little bit too high. And anything at seven, I might have to start considering Northern Illinois. Don't do it. I'm telling you, that's probably my favorite spot. It's just a buy low spot against the MAC team. And Van- I mean, look, maybe I'm giving Vandy too much credit here, but I think they can actually take something out of that game against LSU. You know, when they scored almost 40 points. All right. So the other the other games in the MAC, I wanted to mention. First, you have to lie to us. It's time for you to lie to us. Take a stand right now. One hand up in the air. Are you going to bet Akron 
UMass. Now that Akron is a seven and a half point favorite, it's awful tempting. These are the two worst teams in the country by our power ratings, 129 versus 130. And you can get 130 catching seven and a half at home. It's tempting. I will say it again. UMass is the new UConn. Don't do it. They're just going to find a way to not cover. But it is tempting. Are you going to bet it? If so, which side? Absolutely not. I'm not going to bet this game. I think what people don't realize is uh, UMass only has 56 scholarship players. They could have 85. They already lost their starting center to injury. And this week, they kicked off one of their four-year starters on the offensive line for uh, violation of team rules. There is absolutely no way in hell I would ever back UMass. I don't care what the number is. And looking at Akron's stats, there's no way I would ever trust them to lay a point against any team, most FCS teams. So, no, I will not bet this game. I can't wait till it comes across in the app and Twitter explodes. <laughs> um, all right, here's a game we're going to disagree on. And I haven't talked to you about this game. But looking at your projection, you make BYU your favorite team. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to bet them every week. A nine point, you know, right around nine, ten point favorite in this game against Toledo. Toledo is... So, uh, you know, BYU is only laying two and a half now. It opened up higher. I think there was a service that released Toledo and it came down. I actually like Toledo here. And I've loved what I've seen from the rushing attack. And Kobach, he went bonkers against Colorado State last week. But this is really a fade of BYU. And it goes back to what I said last week. BYU, you know, they could they have an argument in the Vanderbilt category of hardest schedule. They started with Utah, then at Tennessee then USC, and then Washington. That include, And they're 2-2. Two and two, That includes two overtime games. They're playing, again, you know, fifth time, basically, in September. They're going to Toledo. From what I saw last week, I was able to catch some of the game. They look exhausted. This team needs a bye, which they get next week. But I cannot see, you know, BYU should get theirs against Toledo's defense. But I think BYU is going to wear down in this game. They're, I mean, just going to Toledo for a noon kick, I think this is just a nightmare spot. I'll be on the Rockets. I'm hoping to get three. You got to like BYU because you're a line, or are you staying away? No, I'm staying away from this game. I mean, I make the game nine, so I should be playing on BYU. You know, Toledo is just atrocious. I mean, for as much as we talk about what they did against Colorado State, they gave up 694 yards to Colorado State. So Toledo's defense is horrid. Their defensive line is 80th in line yards. They're 108th in in opportunity rate, 117th in sack rate. Uh, But you're right. BYU should be completely exhausted. It's got to be on the kids' minds that they have a bye coming up after this. They can get some rest, get back on track. You know, BYU, uh, it's tough to back them, even though my power rating is way over what the number is. All right, moving on to the Mountain West. We won't spend too much time here. We obviously have to bring up Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Liberty is a seven-point favorite at home against New Mexico. And then the other game I wanted to bring up, the fraudulent pokes of Wyoming. They're laying nine against UNLV. I'm really tempted to bet UNLV as a dog here against Wyoming. One of the funniest things you'll see, if you go and look at, you know, completion percentage, you know, and just filter it by team, you'll start laughing at what Wyoming is. Wyoming is way at the bottom. 35.9% is their completion percentage. Next is Army, but Wyoming can't complete a pass. So I'm really tempted. And, you know, by the way, if you just go up a little more, there's Buffalo and then there's Miami, Ohio. That's why I really love that under. Are we betting either Liberty or are we fading Wyoming? Any feel on either of those two games? 
I think Liberty is the one that we have to bet. Uh, I haven't put it in yet because I definitely don't want to bet the seven and a half. Uh, if you look at New Mexico's pass defense, it's it's pretty bad. It's uh, 118th in pass yards per attempt uh, at uh, 9.04 per pass. Their opponent yards per play is 123rd in the nation. They're allowing seven yards per play. The big thing that we can't put in the power ratings and we can't adjust to is the fact that Hugh Freeze is back on the field. Big red to start the game, but at halftime, if things aren't going so well, we're going to go to Bazooka. He had no way to get to Buckshot through those, you know, the dental chair and the hospital beds and being in the steel cage, the hell in the cell there on the sidelines. Like the Liberty improved and finally, you know, won a game and blew blew a team out once he got he got back on the field and he was able to connect with Buckshot Calvert after each drive, after they were able to make adjustments after each series. So I think that's the biggest difference, and it doesn't reflect in the power ratings. So I think Liberty is definitely the play here, but you don't want to have the hook. You have sacrificed and labored for years to make this day a reality, and we are proud of you. Congratulations. Yep, and are we fading Wyoming here with UNLV? I don't know what to do with Wyoming. The biggest box score frauds, uh, you know, their, their rush defense isn't that great, and that's what UNLV is based upon. Uh, the number is, is spot on. It's exactly where I have it. And so, uh, you know, as much as I want to expose Wyoming, I've got this number at what, minus 9.8, so it's right on. I would love to back UNLV on the road here, but, uh, you know, Wyoming, we're going to get Wyoming one of these weeks. They've been the biggest box score fraud of the year. Yeah, well, we got them last week with, with uh, Tulsa Moneyline, but they found a way to cover again. Um, all right, let's move on here. Let, let us know, guys, by the way, give us feedback on if you like this format. There's not a ton of like, marquee games, you know, huge, you know, 330 CBS games and top 25 matchups, which normally we would spend a lot of time digging into. So we decided to just go through as many games as possible because you know that it's an odd slate when you're getting questions about ECU, ODU, Louisiana, Lafayette, Georgia Southern. So we're trying to hit as many games as we can. Let's move on to the wild Pac-12 where expect the unexpected, as we've seen. The only undefeated team in the conference is Cal. We'll get to their game in Friday Night Lights later. My, oh my, how far Stanford has fallen. You're going to touch on that later in a little teaser. Washington, 10.5-point favorite. Now, the line has crossed the 10 over USC. USC, obviously, off that big win over Utah. Now, look, we we talked about last week when USC and their air raid, the air raid has had a lot of success against Utah and their man defense, if you look at what Washington State has done. And by the way, Washington State plays Utah this week, which we'll get to next. But Washington State hasn't had a lot of success against Washington. Washington knows how to play this. You know, they rush three, they drop eight. They'll have two deep safeties to take away, you know, deep balls. You're not going to get those one as many one-on-one matchups to throw it up to those elite USC wide receivers. You have Matt Fink going on the road here against a defense that can cover the air raid that has seen it. Is it that why you like Washington? I've seen. I think I saw a play come through on the Huskies here. I think it's a good spot for Washington. Crossing the ten makes it a little tougher. What do you see here? Yeah, definitely a great spot for Washington here. Uh, the number I actually made, you know, Washington minus seven. So it, I should be backing USC. But the thing is, is Matt Fink, all he did was use the air raid to his advantage to take it uh, against a Utah team that's never been able to defend the air raid. Stanford, you know, jump ball and go. But tip ball central, throw it up, chuck it, let, let the guys go up and get it. And that, for some reason, Utah safeties year after year after year always has problems with the air raid and that kind of offense. It's not going to work against Washington. They've beaten the tar out of Washington State the last few years because they've always made comments on the defensive side of the ball that defending the air raid is the same thing every year. Uh, there's nothing new about the scheme. Uh, we know how to defend it. It's something to easily coach. 
Uh, I don't know why they can figure it out and why Utah can't figure it out. But I, I expect Washington to be completely prepared for this attack. And Matt Fink, now that there's tape out and he, he's kind of exposed what his tendencies are, I think that's also to the advantage of Washington, too. Uh, Jacob Eason is going to be able to, uh, you know, throw it, probably throw it all over the place. Uh, and hit, hit some guys deep. Uh, the USC's power is in the trench. I think they would be able to to hang with teams that you know are rushing centric, kind of like uh, what they did. They were able to overpower Stanford in the trenches, but that's not how this game is going to go. You got to think about what USC's path has been to this game. They've had just some high level games against Utah, against BYU, uh, Stanford. Uh, they haven't really had a break. And like we said last week with BYU, the gas has to run out of the tank at some point. And I think this is it for USC. Yeah, there's two schools of thoughts, and you know, guarding the air raid. And you're going to see a lot of NFL teams look to, you know, the college ranks. That's where the air raid came from. And then how do you defend it? One of those teams we're going to get to next, Big 12, we didn't forget about you. Iowa State, who's, you know, their defense is really revolutionizing how teams defend the air raid. They're in the Big 12 and they've been the most successful team at defending it. That's where the, their 3-3-5 came from. But what Washington does is they'll, you know, rush three and they're dropping eight. Same kind of thing. And look, BYU copied that. That's what BYU did against USC. Utah is just a man team, but did they learn from last week? They were mixing in some zone. Do they come out and play completely different this week? Looks like Zach Moss is doubtful against uh, Washington State. Washington State coming off that crazy loss against UCLA when they were up by 50 or who knows in the third quarter. And then Utah's coming off that loss to USC. This is a huge game in the Pac-12 at Utah uh, under the lights. Uh, I believe it's a 10, 10 Eastern kick. Utah, because of you know how they play, has been owned by Washington State. They won four straight in the series. Yeah, I think Utah's best plan of action here, which I do like them to win this game. Maybe not to cover, but I do like Utah to win this game. I think their plan of action is to use Devin Brumfield. He's the, he's the backup running back. He's a power running back. He'll be able to go through the tackles. He'll be able to eat up a bunch of clock. Time of possession is a big deal for Utah. They're seventh in the nation, 35 minutes per game and holding the ball. The best way to not let the air raid beat you is to just keep on getting first downs over and over and running the ball, eating the clock. Listen, this Washington State defense, soft. I mean, Leach called them all kinds of names, and Utah should be able to turn around, hand the ball to Devin Brumfield, and he should be able to get eight yards per carry. And I expect that to be the plan of attack for Utah. I like the under in this game because I think it's going to be a lot slower pace than people realize. I mean, Washington State, they're, they're never just- fast. And I think Utah's best plan of attack is to hand the ball off and keep the air raid off the field. So I think Utah's going to keep it straight, uh, and I think that they're going to do their best to keep Washington State off the field. Yeah, I'm interested to see the adjustments uh, that Whittingham and company make at Utah. I think you're going to see more zone. And look, Washington State passes more than any team in the country. Obviously, they usually do. Um, you know, they're they're the most pass-heavy offense in the country. And I don't think Utah can keep doing what they've been doing. And they saw it not work again last week versus USC hasn't worked the last four times against Washington state. So I think they can learn from last week and you'll see more zone concepts. They come out with a vengeance here. I just wish Washington state would have held on to beat UCLA. It would have made the spot right. a lot better. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think Utah bucks the trend here uh, and, and gets the win. All right. I mentioned the big 12. Um, let's go there. Uh, I didn't skip over you. TCU, Kansas, TCU is banged up. Kansas, I think, is live dog. We'll cover that more on our live show on Saturday mornings, 1030 Eastern. Check us out on Twitter. We'll tweet out the link. Texas Tech, Oklahoma, I'll get to later in the show. But let's talk Iowa State, Baylor. Uh, These are two of our favorite coaches to back. Iowa State's a three-point favorite here. Uh, I mentioned that Iowa State defense. They're running that 3-3-5. It's been the best defense in the Big 12. 
Baylor has felt the wrath of it. In the last two meetings, the last two years, they've scored four, just 14 points in each meeting. What I think this comes down to is Iowa State's offense finally had the explosion they've been waiting for last week. But I think the difference in this game is the offensive lines. Iowa State has an excellent offensive line. Baylor does not. That's the last thing that you want uh, playing Iowa State's excellent defensive front. So I think Brewer will you know, get his yards and they'll be chucking it all over. But Iowa State knows how to play that type of defense. I think this is one in the trenches. Uh, and that's the difference in this game. I think Iowa State wins. Uh, I like them minus three. What do you see there in Baylor down in Waco? I'm not taking a side in this game. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those kinds of games you can play live and you can get plus three on both sides. So, I mean, I project this to be Baylor minus one. So, obviously, with Iowa State, you know, minus three, I would think that there's value on that. But I, I think this game is going to be back and forth. And so I would rather play the side live. Now, I do think that this is going to be an over game as I watch it tick down even further down to 54 and a half. Both teams are top 25 in yards per play on offense and in defense. They have huge gaps in yards per play differential, uh, which is over four. You know, the temperature needs to be at least recognized as a part of the handicap. It's going to be 93 degrees. It's going to be clear and it's going to be hot. And I'm wondering if that plays in Baylor's favor in the second half. Listen, I love Brock Purdy, but this Baylor defense is excellent, especially getting you off the field. They're number one in the country, opponent third down conversion percentage. You know, Iowa State's no slouch, but they're 75th in sack rate. Uh, Baylor's defense, I think, is up to the task of, of, of holding down Iowa State, at least keeping them in the game. So I like the over in this game. I'd rather roll the dice with the over and play in the side live. Baylor has who's Baylor played right so far this year <laughs> they played they struggled with Rice they beat UTSA meep, meep. Uh, and they beat Stephen F. Austin I don't really trust their defense numbers and even in those games their offensive line was struggling I saw their offensive line struggling against Rice that right side mm-hmm. of the offensive line is really raw last year they let up uh, I believe a big 12 high I think 40 sacks somewhere around the 39 sacks yeah I just think this offensive line is going to have its hands full against Lima and company in that really outstanding Iowa State defensive front. Um, all right, elsewhere in the Big 12, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. This line has come way down. Oklahoma State now only a four-point favorite. I think you make this significantly higher. Over-under has dropped from 63.5 to 60. At first glance, I, I like this under. Now, it's a pace clash. You know, Kansas State's one of the slowest teams in the country. They are a straight snail. They're going to run it a ton. Um, you know, they're going to short passes. And then Oklahoma State's complete opposite. They're going to go fast, 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 fast. I think the over-under is actually a little too high. I'm a huge believer in this Kansas State team uh, and Kleinman. But what do you see here? Yeah, Kansas State is coming off of a bye, so uh, they should be fresh and ready to go. They've had two weeks to prepare as to where Oklahoma State is coming off of a road trip down to Texas, where they actually kept, you know, even in total yards. They had 494, Texas is 498. Uh, the total I actually make spot on. I mean, we projected this at 61. It's kind of hanging out right right around there, and I do think that Oklahoma State, I, I've got it actually a little bit higher at Oklahoma State minus 8.5 over Kansas State. I, I don't know how to make heads or tails, but what we've seen with Nichols and Bowling Green and Mississippi State, Kansas State's done everything that they needed to do. Definitely not a play for me. I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with money on Kansas State yet. I still, you know, like Oklahoma State, uh, especially offensively, where, you know, we've had games of 555, 580 yards against Oregon State and McNeese and over 500 yards against Tulsa and almost 500 yards against Texas. It's just seems like a shootout to me. So, uh, you know, I, I probably will look over more than anything else. Yep. All right. Before we get to the SEC, let's quickly go through the belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. Uh, Troy, Arkansas State. If you don't know, Arkansas State, uh, you got to feel bad for them. It is a disaster. Logan Bonner is out for the year. He had thumb surgery. 
their quarterback now is a kid who transferred from Alabama, uh, Lane Hatcher. He's a, th- a three-star kid. He'll get the start. Ryan Graham, their, one of their running backs, is out for the season. Their other running back, Marcel Murray, is questionable with an ankle injury he's nursing. They lost their top corner. A mess. It's risen from 55 and a half to 58 and a half. I think it touched 59 and a half. It's come down a little bit. I like the under. I think Troy can name it. This Arkansas State team is just beat up. And the only other game that I think is worth talking about is App State, Coastal Carolina. The line is ticked down. Uh, any interest in Coastal or Arc State, Troy? Yeah, I think you're right on with Troy. I mean, the number is up from our projection. We had a four and a half. It's at seven and a half. And that, you know, it could be Logan Bonner in there. It could be a lot of reasons. Arkansas State's been through a lot on the field. And they've been through a lot off the field. Troy's uh, yards per play so far is 14th in the nation at 7.35. And Arkansas State is outside the top 100 uh, opponent yards per play allowed. So I definitely like Troy in that spot to take advantage. All right. Let's go through the SEC rapid fire. We'll start Miss State, Auburn. Look, Bo Nix, Bo Picks, whatever you want to call them. Bo Nix season in full effect. Look, he's been inefficient. I will say Mississippi State's offensive line, which was a problem early in the year, has been better, and it was better, against Kentucky. Auburn should win the battle in the trenches here. I think Auburn will win the game. I made it less than 10, and I could get it at 11. I believe it just took down the 9.5 as we're recording this. Um, that's it. Uh-huh. It's a play on the number for me. I think this got a little inflated at 11. That's why I played in this state. Any thoughts there? Yeah, Tommy Stevens' practice this week, it was kind of a closed practice Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, and all Moorhead would say was that he he definitely did practice. So it looks like I think the number is coming down because it's starting to leak that Tommy Stevens is going to be under center for Mississippi State. I made the game with Tommy Stevens, Auburn minus seven. So I think there's value, and especially if Tommy Stevens is going to start and he's fine, then I think there's definitely value on the number at 10. Uh, Texas A&M, Arkansas, you fading your boys here, uh, catching 23.5 at home, uh, Arkansas against Texas A&M. Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. I think this is a first half play on Arkansas. You're going to get the best effort you can get out of Arkansas between all this club dub nonsense bullshit with them dancing in the locker room and saying they're going to beat you know San Jose State by 173 and Nick Starkles being crabby with people on his Instagram and 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 practice you know Chad Morris has come out and said speak that practice has been perfect this week. The execution has been spot on, the best that they've had the entire year. Uh, and I like John Chavis in this spot, our, our defensive coordinator. He's formerly of Texas A&M. He kept this game tight last year. So I think a first-half play is worth it. I mean, we picked off Kellen Mond twice last year. Uh, Arkansas's defense is 35th in Havoc. Uh, they're just getting gashed on the ground. They're absolutely terrible on the ground at controlling the run. Uh, so I think Arkansas is worth a play because of the effort factor and the line is inflated a little bit uh, for the first half. But besides that, I can't trust him full game. Yeah, I think I'll look at them full game, though, too, if it gets to 24. Yeah, you, you make a good point. This is an Arlington noon kick. Uh, Bama, Ole Miss, who cares? <laughs> Kentucky, South Carolina, both teams are dealing with quarterback injuries. Sawyer Smith for Kentucky's even banged up now. He looks like he's going to play. Looked awful last week against Mississippi State. Kentucky's owned this series. Owned it. I think they're going for six wins in a row over South Carolina, which is crazy to think for Kentucky football. Does South Carolina bounce back here? Two and a half point favorites at home over the Cats. Kentucky, I don't know who's going to be under center. They they were thin coming into the season already. I, I can't back either team in this spot. It's uh, musical chairs of the bottom of the SEC East. Yep. All right. Uh, before we go three and out, let's talk FC yes or no. Southland or SEC? 
Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. Now, this might be just one second because there's not many matchups. There's not many intriguing ones. I just wanted to use this time to tell Flacco, not Joe, Tom and Talzin. They have a pretty good offense. They're playing Florida. Uh, I think Florida really just cares about they've dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, Florida just cares about getting out of this game healthy, not showing anything. You know, they're coming off that win you know, over Tennessee, over Kentucky and, you know, on deck, they have Auburn. I doubt they want to show anything. They want to get out healthy. I think Towson can put up a couple touchdowns. Worth a look at 37 and uh, the elite Tom Flacco. Anything in the uh, FCS space for you? Maybe a Texas State plus three and a half against Nichols. My heartburn with that is that Nichols is an absolutely really good rushing team at the FCS level. Texas State struggles against the rush terribly. They have some of the worst defensive line metrics out there in all of the FBS on Football Outsiders. So we'll see. There may be a play uh, come across the app for that. Look, I'm okay with this now. Texas State took care of me last week. I'm now able to bet them without vomiting. Uh, All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Let's start first with Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We're going to have betting guides out on actionnetwork.com and the Action app. Uh, So check those out. But we'll mention our favorite game on Friday night, Maryland, I got them plus seven. I like them six or above. These teams are really similar, both coming off buys. You know, this will be in College Park on a weird Friday night, eight o'clock kick. The Penn State offense, and this is ever since Joe Moorhead left. The passing is just, it's been all out of whack. The timing's out of whack. It's been that way again this year. Both teams, you know, their defensive lines have played well. They've defended the run well. I just trust McFarland better. There's not, you know, a, a running back that has really emerged as the guy yet for Penn State. You have a new quarterback here going on the road. And yeah, Penn State's 3-0. Yes, they're ranked in the top 15. But what do they do? They beat Buffalo. They were trailing at the half in a game they were outgained in. They beat Pitt by seven at home. They were outgained in that game also. And then, yeah, they, they beat Idaho in, in August. Who cares? So I think Penn State's a little inflated here. I think Maryland might pull off this upset. Yeah, I agree. I already took them on the app at seven. I, I would lay some money down on money line because we have not been fans of Penn State all year. Completely overrated. So Virginia Tech is a play because of the number. I think it should be at eight and a half. Duke's only won this game twice in the last 15 tries against Virginia Tech. But I'll take Air Force as my second favorite bet of the night. And it's really because of the spot. The number that I, I actually made this game 18 and a half at some offerings. You can get it 18 and a half or 19. You're Boston not just San being bitter Jose with State. San Jose State, right? No, I mean, I'm not being bitter with San Jose State. I mean, they got five interceptions to win that game. But they, I mean, they made Arkansas look stupid. I mean, they're just running them over. In what world am I living in where San Jose State is running over Arkansas defenders? The real world. <laughs> we paid them $1.5 million. You got paid $1.5 million to come beat an SEC team in their own house. Amazing. So they fly back. Biggest win in program history. They have a short week of practice. Now they're going to Colorado Springs where the elevation is over 6,000 feet. Uh, Air Force is for real in the trenches on the offensive line, the defensive line. San Jose State, I don't think, has seen a triple option of any form. I think I looked back the last couple of years on their schedule. So it's going to be, I mean, a short week in elevation against a triple option, against a team that has legit trenches on both sides of the ball. I do make the number 18 and a half, but I think it's a great spot for Air Force. Service academies is huge favorites. It's always tough to get them home. I think it's like 40% double-digit favorites over the last 15 years. But yes, I agree with you. On the trenches on both sides, Air Force has done nothing but impress. I also am looking forward to the Arizona State-Cal potential rock fight late night in Pac-12 after dark. Um, For second down, let's go with our favorite overdog. Let's bring that segment back. 
It's called the overdog parlay. For those who are not familiar, overdog is the opposite of underdog. We had someone call in the voicemail and say that we should stop betting underdogs and start betting overdogs. So now we refer to favorites sometimes as overdogs here. I'm going to go with a team that you would think is overvalued, but I think there's value here, and that's Oklahoma uh, against Texas Tech, who doesn't have their starting quarterbacks. They're going to play two quarterbacks here, but I just don't think it matters. They're not going to stop this Oklahoma offense. And look, David Yost, the offensive coordinator for Texas Tech, he wants to fly. And I mean, fly. <laughs> I saw an interview with him when he was like, yeah, we were snapping it with 30 seconds and that's not good enough. We want to be at 31 seconds and we want to snap before the defense's players' hands are down. Guess what? That can work some weeks. Not this week. You don't want to be uh-huh. giving Oklahoma the ball and increasing possessions. I think under four touchdowns, there's value with Oklahoma. So I'll go with Oklahoma. Who's your favorite overdog of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with Western Michigan. Western Michigan is one of the best teams in the country at explosive plays. Central Michigan is, I think, 119th in the country at allowing 20-plus yard plays from scrimmage. And this is a battle for the canyon. Jim McElwain came out in his, in his presser on Monday, and he said the, the speed of Western Michigan on the outside and on their defensive line is going to be a serious problem for Central Michigan. Western Michigan is probably going to be able to do whatever they want. Uh, John Wasink, the quarterback, is going to be able to throw all of them covered last year, won this game big. Overdog-wise, Western Michigan minus 17, a good play. Gotta love it. Some action. All right, and then before we get out of here... Finally, we'll go quickly here with our underdog Moneyline Parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I'll start. I already mentioned mine. I'm rolling with Toledo. I think it's a bad spot for an exhausted BYU team who also lost their running back. I love the way that their offense looks. BYU just wants to get to their bye. Who are you going with? I'm going with Oregon State. I mean, everybody out there is like, Colin, did you really put three units? Yeah, I really did. I really liked Oregon State at four and a half. Uh, hit that as much as I could on Monday. Just a really great spot against a Stanford team that's had to play BYU, USC. I mean, Stanford is, and UCF. And just injuries all over. over. Just- KJ Costello has not looked the same since he got banged in the head. I mean, their offense is broken. They're 118th in total offense. Two of the past three times Stanford has played with good teams, played at Reister Stadium. They've escaped with their lives like in the final second. Jonathan Smith, this is a big game for him. He told everybody this week was going to be an orange out. We're going to honor Dennis Erickson sometime during the game for being the, like the greatest Oregon State coach ever. Oregon State's going to get Jamar Jefferson back. He got hurt during the Hawaii game. They had that Hawaii game won, and then uh, there was some shenanigans there at the end on the island that uh, Oregon State still covered, but uh, they did not get the underdog money line dirty parlay down. Oregon State is legit. They they want this conference win pretty bad. Well, don't an say out. Oregon State is legit. Oregon uh, State's legit. legit. On the ground, they actually are, though. Oregon State can yeah. rush the ball. They're Akron UMass-ish on the defense. That's our underlog money line parlay of the week. Pays about five to one. One either one of us has hit in all four weeks, but not both at the same week. So it's time. Let's hit this. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Uh, make, you know the drill. Subscribe, unsubscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Catch us on Saturday morning for the live show at ten thirty Eastern. Good luck, everyone, this weekend. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.